Hello everyone, and welcome to 1v1 with Boss Rush Games. I'm your host, Celeste Roberts. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Dexter Babin, an organized crime enthusiast and scholar who is currently working on his master's in American history. He works at the Regional Military Museum in Houma, Louisiana as the interim executive director slash curator. Hey Dexter, how are you doing tonight? Hello, Celeste. I'm very good. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here tonight. So I just want to thank you for having me on. Oh, you have such a wealth of knowledge. And for everybody listening, I've known Dexter for almost 20 years now. <laughs> I know. I was I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, man, I've known Celeste forever. <laughs> like, like I, like, I know we're going to talk about Zelda at one point. So, like, I, I, I did some, I haven't played Breath of the Wild yet. It looks beautiful, but like I did some reading up on it just in case we talk some Zelda. I could at least, I could at least pretend to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, <laughs> it's come a long way since 1986, for sure. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Well, what what do you want people to know about you in one sentence? Oh, um, wow, one sentence. One sentence. One sentence. Um. I'm not as interesting as I sound. Oh God! <laughs> that was quite I, an introduction you gave me, but I I I, I tend to ramble a little. I, I have a talent on making these things that shouldn't be boring very boring. Oh gosh, no! You you give presentations. <laughs> Actually, the last time I saw you in person was in like the end, the tail end of 2019. About it was the Yakuza. It was the Yakuza lecture I did. Yeah. Yes. Oh wow! Wow! That's a long time ago. It I know it seemed like another. I don't know. Like I feel, it seems like a decade has passed during this past year. Uh, I, I, I'm sure everyone. Well, I guess it depends on who you are, but like I just feel so much time has passed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a 2020 was interesting, and so how did you face those challenges with the museum with your job? What did y'all do? It was tough. We we did close for a while, but um, thankfully we. Uh, my job is more of, of of running the place, so there's always stuff for me to do. So while we closed to the public for a few months, uh, we I still went in. Uh, my other coworker went in. Uh, we completely renovated our lobby. Uh, we we cleaned everything head to toe. I applied for some grants. I got I got I basically had a chance to get some work done. That I could finally get done. So it was uh, thankfully we were only closed for like two months and. <gasps> Excuse me. We uh, reopened in June. That's uh, not too bad. That's not. Yeah, I mean, we flooded. Actually, the week before we opened, we flooded. Uh, there was a really just random freak storm, and I walk in one Friday and I, I notice the welcome mat's like wet. And I'm like, oh, that's weird, and it's just water everywhere. And I'm oh, like, oh my god, yeah. So we had to go get like dehumidifiers. You know, we had to clean everything because part of the museum's on lower ground. Thankfully, where most of the artifacts are at are on, is on higher ground, and none of the artifacts got wet. But like a lot of my paperwork got wet because I left it, I left like boxes of paperwork on the floor, not knowing like, hey, it's gonna flood today. But it's it's South Louisiana, so that's that's my fault. I should just assume we're always gonna be overtaken <laughs> by water at like any time. Like right now, I should have a life preserver on because like who knows. Yeah, especially with those hurricanes last year. That was insane. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, okay, we don't have a hurricane for, like, almost a decade. And then we have, like, every hurricane ever. And, like, Homa, 
Homer's just dodging the big ones. I'm like, like, man, how long can we like keep this up? Because for those unfamiliar where we're at, and I, I don't want, I, I think I just gave away your location, so I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. That's okay. But we're, 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 we're very south Louisiana. <laughs> very so, south. Yeah, so like if it rains for a lot, everything is flooded. Now, I live on a bayou, so like I get nervous because the bayou sometimes overflows into my yard. Um, and it's come, uh, we flooded once, but that, thankfully for now. Those storms really weren't that bad over here. So your house thankfully. flooded? Yeah, for, for like bad thunders, it's always the bad thunderstorms that are worse than hurricanes. Because everyone's on deck for a hurricane. Mm -hmm. Like everything, all the pumps are working and everything. But like just a random like heavy thunderstorm that the bayou behind my house fills up quick. And it overflows in my yard. Yeah, we've we've we've, we've had a few close calls, but uh, thankfully, most of my house is elevated. It's just kind of our front room and our laundry room that kind of gets flooded. Oh my gosh, that. Oh, do you think you're gonna stay around here for a while, or or do you see yourself? I I want to I want to move. Uh, I, and I love Louisiana history. I love Louisiana politics. I just don't like Louisiana. Um, I, 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 honestly, I would love to move out of state and uh, somewhere north. Uh, if anything, for the for the weather, like, I'm, I'm sick of the 90 degree. Uh, I in mean, the summers here. You know, we were both in band together, mm -hmm. and me and, and me and you marched in like the heat all summer long and i just i can't stay in the heat anymore like i don't know how we did that back then we were younger <laughs> yeah yeah I, was say, I mean but like i don't think it's just so hot now <laughs> i don't know i think it's i think it's gotten way hotter than than when we were in band camp i think so too can you can you imagine having to march right now no oh god no I was thinking about that. I'm like, I would not. You couldn't pay me enough to do that again. And we did it for free. And we did it for we did it for for fun. I, I would I wouldn't trade the experience in the world because I got to I got to meet you. Like my best friends in high school are still my best friends. So um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. But like if someone's like, hey, you want to? I'll pay you like five thousand dollars to march a season again. I'd be like, no, nah, it's all right. <laughs> It's so much work and time, and oh, I, I haven't played the flute since like 2007. Really? See, I was not good at the sax in high school, so I can't imagine how bad I am right now. I, <laughs> I did I did alumni band for one year. Uh, the year after I graduated, uh, they started an alumni band, and they're like, "Yeah, come back and play." And I'm like, man, I forgot everything. It's It was a year, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. So I'm just, like, hitting the keys, pretending to play. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Dexter will be providing some saxophone entertainment tonight. I didn't know yes. if I told you. I'll, I'll be playing uh, Careless Whisper. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So I can't wait for everyone's ears to bleed. Well, let's fast forward to after if after high school. So you went to Nichols State University for a little while, I believe. Yes, I, I started at Nichols. I, I kind of became I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started at Nichols. I got a job at Blockbuster. 
And I'm like, you know what? I'll just do that forever. Because <laughs> uh, I love movies. I'm a huge movie buff. I love talking movies. And like, you, you get this kind of high working at a video store because people come to you for recommendations and stuff. So you kind of get to like just like make people absorb your taste. And most of the time, they'd come back and be like, I'm never taking a movie recommendation for you again. Because I like recommend stuff. Like, people were freaked out. But uh, I ended up, and like, math is my, my not my strong uh, suit. I, I don't like math. So I, I ended up going to uh, Fletcher Community College to take math. Um, and then I, I ended up transferring to the University of New Orleans in 2010. Uh, I finished up uh, with a history major there and a uh, film minor, and now I'm currently uh, pursuing my master's degree in history at the Louisiana Tech University. Are you thinking about going the PhD route? I would love to, but the job market, like, first off, there's not many history PhD onlines. I don't have to do it online. There's not a lot of that right now. The pandemic may change that. Um, so I, I don't want to rule that option out, but I don't know. The, I would love to teach college and just be a professor, but the, the chances of that are slim. Just the job market with that is, is there's too many PhDs to go around right now. So oh, well, I think you can teach yeah. with your master's though, right? You can, but you can't get tenure. Oh. I want to be a tenured professor. I want to like be that old cottery dude that never leaves. <laughs> but yeah, I could teach. If I was lucky enough, I, I could technically start adjuncting uh, now because I have so many hours of my master's degree under my belt. So um, maybe in the near future, I could maybe start teaching at Nichols or uh, Fletcher. Just an adjunct class, yeah. So what inspired you to pursue the master's? I, um, actually, it, it was two things. I, I got a random email in, like, 2011 with an invite to be on uh, Vice Television. And it was going to be about Southern culture, and they read my blog, and they wanted me to talk about organized crime. And they're like, well, what, what's, what's your... They basically asked me, what's your highest education? I'm like, oh, I just have my bachelor's. And they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you'll be up there with like, people with their PhD. So <laughs> we'll get back. Eventually, they're like, yeah, we'll get back to you. And I never heard anything ever again. So I'm like, man, that's just kind of like a roadblock. That always like, kind of simmered in me. I'm like, you know, maybe I should get my master's. Maybe not. I, I didn't think I was smart enough to get my master's. Oh. And then my, my wife started her master's degree and I made her take a history course just so I could like take it for fun. I'm like, I'll do your history. Take Civil War history. And I ended up doing really good in the course. So that summer I applied to LA Tech and I got in and uh, yeah, I've been going for it ever since. Wow. When are you scheduled to finish? It should be, I have to decide if I'm doing a thesis or not. So <laughs> I should have like a year and a half left. You think you're gonna do it? You're gonna do it? I want to do it. My here's the thing. My um, my original advisor was like, "Yeah, don't do a thesis. You don't have to do that." 
And I'm like, yeah, but like I kind of want to. So like he retired or he got another job. So I'm I'm thinking of speaking to my new advisor and doing a thesis because I I would really love to do a thesis. Do you have an idea in mind? I would be New Orleans organized crime, <laughs> right? Right about what you know. So it would oh, be something to do with that. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, what what do you do for a living? I I did say that you work at the Regional Military Museum in Homa, yeah. Louisiana. Would you like to elaborate on that? I I I want to quote Casino. I'm gonna paraphrase Casino. I, I I'm not. I serve in the day to day. I serve at the pleasure of the board on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> I, I'm not the boss. I'm, I, I, I kind of oversee the day-to-day activities. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, not to sound like this, but like I do everything. I, I kind of wear a lot of different hats over there. So uh, it, it runs from uh, historical work and curating um, to uh, archiving and kind of uh, registering artifacts to like paperwork and just bureaucratic, just the kind of everydayness of running an organization. That's a lot of work. It is. It's, it's, uh, I, I love it. It's fun. I am extremely lucky to, to be where I'm at. Uh, so I'm incredibly grateful for my job and it's, uh, you meet a lot of cool people and it's a, it's a really nice place to work. How did you find out about it, the job, when you first I was actually it? working. Uh, I didn't even know there was a job open. Oh, uh, you say that again? I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. How did you even, f- I mean, you knew about the museum, but how did you even find out that there, that you could work there, that there was a job available f- several years ago? Oop, you froze up. I'm back. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry. Right. That's all right. About the job, it's uh. So the question was how how I heard about the job. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even know there was a job opening. I was working for a local television studio, and I interviewed one of my ex bosses, and I was just told him I was interested in volunteering, and he kind of handed me a job uh, application. So I'm like, oh yeah, awesome, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I got I kind of jumped ship over there, and I've been there ever since. Wow. So what can you tell us about the Regional Military Museum? It's, uh, we cover, we, we cover every conflict in the 20th century, but we're, we're moving in a direction where we're keeping it local. Uh, like we're, we cover World War II in South Louisiana, in the Gulf of Mexico, they had German U-boats all over the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, at one point early in the war, the Gulf of Mexico was the most dangerous spot in World War II. We lost 57, 57 ships in a six-month period. Uh, so the German submarines were, were just sinking cargo ships left and right. Uh, right now, I'm working on displays having to do with the Revolutionary War in South Louisiana, uh, the War of 1812 in South Louisiana, and the Civil War in South Louisiana. So we were going to kind of keep that part local we have a lot of interesting artifacts we have a, a huey helicopter hanging from our uh, ceiling that was flown in vietnam uh we have an f4 phantom across the street uh we have tons of jeeps um and uh weapons from world war ii so we have a very good collection 
for being such a small museum. And you can help. I, I know this because my grandmother actually sought your services to learn more about her uncle who died in World War II. You guys can help people learn more about their relatives who served. Yes. Yeah. We're very happy to do that. It's, uh, it's, it's always easier. If anyone's interested, you could download a, a, what's called an SF-180, a standard form 180 from the National Archive. And all you have to do is kind of fill out the person's information you're looking for and you mail that off. It's a painful process because it's the government and it's going to take forever, but they, they will get back to you. But yeah, I'm always, always, I have to navigate, even like in my research I do for fun, I have to nav navigate the federal government. So I, I don't mind helping people do that because it can be kind of uh, tedious at times. Oh, I, I love the Regional Military Museum. Remember I interviewed you in 2013 or so? I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Is that when we took those pictures? Yes. 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 I do. I do remember. That. that was a wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, eight years ago. That was so much fun. I, I loved learning about the museum and I'm really happy that we have that. It's, it's a little national, the local treasure. It is. You need to come back. A lot has changed since the last time you've been there. You need to come back. Well, what, when are, when is the museum open? We are open 10 to 4, Monday through Fridays, and 10 to 2 on Saturdays. Very nice. Very nice. So you, in addition to, obviously, history in general, you have a huge passion. For as long as I've known you, you've had a huge passion for organized crime. I don't mean committing organized <laughs> crime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I you're not wearing a wire, huh? Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 No, it's just something I always, uh, well, I kind of... I kind of fell into it. I don't know how it started. My mom got me the Godfather trilogy on DVD one year for Christmas. And I never liked organized crime. Like, I never, there was no inkling that I even wanted that for Christmas. But she got it for me. So, like, I'm like, okay, I don't know what these movies are. I'll watch them. And, like, it completely changed my world. And that kind of sparked the interest. Not that organized crime is anything like the Godfather movies, like quite quite opposite. But that is a good example of how movies can spark your interest into something. And you could do your own research and just a deep dive into a subject you're passionate about. And I would talk about it a lot in high school. I, I, I'm sorry, almost 20 years later, you still have to hear me talk about it. <laughs> I invited you. That is all right. And and I went to your, your lecture about the Yakuza. Um, Very know, nice. Very nice of you. Thank you oh, for coming about it that. Was, it was so much fun, and I learned a lot. And do you plan on doing more once the world is back to normal? Yeah, well, like, I started doing more research and more reading into, to like, modern organized crime, which you would call transnational organized crime. Because the mafia, the American mafia still exists, but it's not, it's a former shadow of what it used to be. Today's primary organized crime threat is is these transnational networks, like mm -hmm. drug cartels, the, the Italian Andragneta, uh, uh, Albanian organized crime and Russian organized crime, and the Yakuza. And um, I guess for like job security, I've, uh, or like potential job security, I, I've kind of um, done a lot of reading and research into that. 
because maybe I would really like to write like drug policy is a job in the future or kind of terrorism and organized crime or, or have a lot in common today. Um, so our transnational organized crime has become a uh, national security threat as well. Yeah, you, you post a lot about it on your Instagram and Twitter, and I learn a lot. Like, you're you're the encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> I just retweet, I retweet the, the encyclopedias. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing about Twitter. You know, Twitter was kind of a sh shithole for a while. Uh, but there are really good academics and scholars and policy writers on there you can follow. It, it doesn't just have to be people yelling about movies and politics there's a lot there's a lot of good learning you could do on twitter i i never, I never thought i'd say that yeah i never I, thought I'd I say know. That. yeah i i joined in like 2012 and i thought i don't get this i'm just going to keep using facebook and instagram but i have abandoned facebook and i'm just using instagram and twitter and twitter there i think it's a great tool i really do I do. I, again, like me tweeting is just kind of yelling out into the void. Well, I'm glad to have you as an audience. So, like, at least I know you're reading. So like, I, I, I'm i going to keep the Twitter torches for you, Celeste. Well, I, I know you're reading. Yeah, I have an audience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, this, okay, this is going to be kind of like an, an explain like I'm five situation. So what exactly is organized crime? That's, see, that is insanely good question. Because there's no good definition. Hmm. There, everyone, there's like a government definition. But you could argue me and you going to rob a bank is some way organized crime. Mm -hmm. uh, I say usually they're involved, but today's transnational organized crime syndicates their, their structure is very fluid. It's not like this tight, top-down hierarchy. Um, we've grown used to American organized crime, American, the American mafia. Uh, but it's very fluid. It, it's more like a straight line across, and it needs to adapt whenever it can. And that's that's where I feel law enforcement is behind. Uh, law enforcement just automatically assumes every uh, organized crime organization is this, this type down hierarchy uh when it's not and um but yeah i mean there's very very recycled um cartels and organized crime is essentially a group of people committing acts that are is organized in some fashion yeah it's not it's not just well okay is a serial killer considered no no that's the the point of organized crime is to not murder is definitely a part of it but that's not the point the point is to I, to make the most amount of money in the least amount of effort <laughs> but I, I get but you end up working really hard like it's a hard job but mur and murder is definitely in, in terrorism uh, especially today is a big part of it but uh, a illicit economy is, is the point of organized crime um, murder is just the enforcement arm of it. So how long, okay, with materials that we have where people could record history, how far does organized crime go back? Oh, I would, I would argue it would go back to Rome 
and you you could you can um now there's no or it would be different because they, they'd be all politicians essentially like if if you study the political machine uh in rome was huge in the clientele and political machines and you would have gangs there's a really good book called violence in republican rome uh by uh Linot is his last name and he the gangs back then were kind of kind of like how the gangs were in uh uh 19th century america they were they were uh patrons of politicians and political machines and in uh the late republic you would have these gangs that would essentially guard politicians and harass and even sometimes kill other politicians and other uh, supporters so i yeah and they are now, if you want to talk about organized crime in America, um, I, I would say t people are kind of split on this. You kind of start to see organized crime gang form. Well, you could say piracy is a form of organized crime, most definitely. But if we're talking like urbanized organized crime, kind of like what we're familiar with when you say the word organized crime, uh, some people say once you see these, uh, again, to go to the political machines, these urban political machines like Tammany Hall, and gangsters kind of started serving these politicians or a lot of uh, I've read some really good scholars saying gangsterism was brought over by Chinese immigrants uh, in the 19th century and this kind of these Tom gangs kind of influenced American gangs and we did we didn't even realize it what yeah yeah so yeah I I, I so to answer your question, it's been, I'm sure in one form or another, uh, organized crime has been around since, since civilization. Wow. So uh, what's the psychology behind organized crime? It is, have people really touched on that? Yes. Um, it, and it depends what you're talking about with, in Italy today, it's very family-based. Uh, especially with the uh, Androgneta, you have entire clans of families kind of involved in this. You know, w w with gangs, it's it's like a lack of a family thing. You, you know, you, like you join these gangs to to substitute some part of that in your life. Um, uh, in other parts, it's it's immigrants with kind of no other avenue. Uh, besides crime and organized crime so it really it really depends on on who you're talking about and and where but like in japan it's weird japan is re not to insult any japanese i love japanese culture and i love the history of japan but um or organized crime over there is like part of society they they expect it and they're they're until most recently, their strategy has not been to like eliminate it like over here, but rather just like control it. And like gangsters over there wear, wear lapel pins, they hold press conferences. <laughs> so it's very, uh, do any reading about the Yakuza and it's very, it's odd, but, but fascinating. It, it's alien to us, but not to them. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's different uh, over there. I remember from your lecture, you were explaining how the Yakuza, they 
actually give back to the communities they're yeah they well they're not they're not dumb they they're they realize that good pr uh goes a long way and uh during the last major earthquake they had in japan you had yakuza members handing out supplies and 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 blankets and and diapers and that that's kind of how they see themselves they see themselves as like guardians of of people and they see themselves as samurai like we we are what the samurai have become today and of course that's kind of, that's not true but um that's how they see themselves and, but yeah and and that's not kind of um specific to the yakuza you, you could point out times the mafia has done that um both in sicily italy and the united states it's it's really good pr hmm. uh to to, to kind of at least show like you're helping out people that's really interesting and Okay, so organized crime in the United States is are do those people tend to try to stay in the shadows? Is it not really? Well, uh, if we gangsters became celebrities after a while, like The Godfather is probably the worst thing to happen to the American mafia because <laughs> like everyone knew about it, it was popular. Uh, again, gangsters started hanging out. Well, gangsters always kind of hang out with actors, but um, yeah, every when everyone knows your secret society exists, it's really bad for you. So um, no, I mean to, today, not really. Uh, if they're low key, it's just kind of they're it's just not important enough anymore. Um, it, it would be wise to stay in. The, it's kind of hard today. Especially with uh, have as much as technology's progressed, um, there's kind of no Mr. Big sitting in the shadows, not knowing who it's for. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, being anonymous is is good currency, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of organized crime is poor in that. Hmm. So, how is it able to still exist today in America? How how come law enforcement, FBI, CIA, all those entities, how come they can't shut it down? Since, as you were saying, it's very different from Japanese society where they almost celebrate the Yakuza and it's just expected. Well, with well, first off, the CIA cannot spy on Americans legally. They do it all the time. <laughs> so legally, you, you won't have the CIA involved with the mafia. But now the American mafia is kind of done. It's still around, but it's not nearly as successful uh, as it used to be. And that was through a series of laws like the RICO Act and um, several other strategies. Law enforcement has shifted to combat organized crime, or the American Mafia in particular. Our problem is today, again, is transnational organized crime. Like the cartels is probably Mm -hmm. the biggest problem in America today. And what's frustrating to me is I, I started going through hearings on organized crime in the 80s and during Reagan's era, kind of like 85, 86. And a lot of things they identify with Latin American organized crime, we're still struggling with today and we kind of ignore. Um, so RICO is the RICO Act, which is the Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization Act. Excuse me. That's a good 
that's a good law if you could prove structure. And you could prove, well, this guy works for that guy, so we could charge that guy with this guy's crimes. So the whole point of that was these bosses would insulate themselves with underlings. So they would never get arrested. The underlings would get arrested. But if you could prove conspiracy, you could charge a boss with an underling's crime. And the boss's whole chains of command can go to prison. And that was very effective with the American mafia. But with cartels, it's not one organization. It's a bunch of little circles of organizations working with each other. And they're constantly in flux. And um, it's, it's to the point where there's some parts of South America that are kind of like narco states. To the point where the, the, these drug smugglers are kind of in control in some areas of the country. And um, I, I don't know how you solve this because Mexico does not have its own RICO Act. Mm. Other nations kind of not having the right laws to combat this. Like like Japan just introduced plea bargaining like 10 years ago. So the, yeah, so before that, you never had anyone really testify because there was no point in it. There was no plea bargaining. Um so that, that is a good question. I'd say narcotics. The, the drug war has militarized uh, organized crime to the point where I, th- I think there's no going back. I don't know what the, the good answer to, to solving this is. So what exactly is a cartel for people who may not be aware? Well, a cartel, uh, a regular definition is a, a group of businesses that kind of price fix. Like OPEC would be a cartel. What? Well, not like a drug cartel, but there's a business. There's a business term called cartel, which is like not criminal. Oh, affiliated. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a legitimate term. It's just a, a a bunch of businesses, or or in this case, criminal organizations working together to fix prices on something. And it's not a technically accurate term because there's no price. Whatever you could. It's whatever the market fluctuates with, but um, that that's what it kind of means. It's not one organization. It's a bunch of smaller organizations working together, and that could be for for decades, or that could be for, for days, and um, just working together to ship drugs uh, to the United States and to Europe. Hmm. Oh, my God, that... I, I keep hearing about how that's a the Mexican drug cartel is a big issue, like you were pointing out with the United States. We how do we like you said, you don't even know how how can we solve this? Is are there people who I guess are in power who are actually in cahoots, you think? With some of these yeah. People? Well, that's actually when it was more peaceful. When the Mexican government was kind of corrupt and was kind of like in on it and letting these cartels kind of go freely that's when you had the less kind of violence it's when uh there was a reform i forget his name there was a reform president that came in and that's when he kind of declared war on the cartels and that's when this like militarization really stepped up that's when you see that's the that's the seeds planted of what we see today um and it's not just a danger here. Uh, last year, there, there's a, a Italian organized crime figures being arrested in Latin America. Uh, there's Albanian organized crime figures being arrested in Latin America. 
South America is also the cocaine hub for Europe. So this is this, and I think I to answer the question, this is not just a regional problem. This is a worldwide. This is a worldwide problem, and we're not treating it as a worldwide problem. So even if we did fix it, or we came up with a with a way to combat drugs in the United States, it would still be a problem because Europe may not follow our example, or vice versa. So do you think that it's kind of risky for anyone to even want to blow the whistle and get involved in that? It sounds like pretty dangerous territory. Yeah, you you will probably die, yes. <laughs> you there's well here's the thing, there's so much money at stake. Like an obscene obscene amounts of money, billions of dollars. What's one life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I imagine that it's like what's one life against losing billions of dollars? Oh my god. It's not to justify it, but that's kind of what it comes down to. That's kind of the, uh, the way these figures think. So how are they how are they able to transport drugs to other countries? Uh, shipping, uh, shipping containers mostly. Uh, in the eighties, uh, they would fly into the United States, um, but that got way too difficult with NAFTA being passed in the nineties. Uh, which is a North American free trade agreement, which opened up trade between Latin America, the United States, and Canada, you essentially gave these cartels kind of a, a legal highway to ship all these narcotics in. What? Yeah. Through, I'm telling you, in, you can't look through every shipping container. It's a numbers game. And, and there's actually a strategy to where cartels would let through dummy loads. So, like, They'll let police find half a container of cocaine and seize that so they could bring in like five containers of cocaine. So it again it's a numbers it's a very it's a numbers game. It's it's I, I again I don't know how we, we go back for, unless everyone just doesn't do drugs anymore. I don't, I don't see how I don't see how we uh, go back. Yeah. Well, besides drugs, are there any other goods or services that are part of these organizations? Well, you know, uh, profession in the world, I think, is the saying. <laughs> you know, prostitution, especially the cartels, uh, extortion, um, kidnapping. And I think lawmakers in the United States and Latin America will be good to look at Italy during the 90s. Because Italy during the 90s with the mafia, uh, it was kind of insane because you had federal judges getting assassinated. You had journalists getting assassinated. You had uh, guys shooting up like public squares. Uh, terrorism. You had terrorism against the Italian state because the uh, Italian state was putting, had the one of the largest trials ever on organized crime called the Maxi Trials in the early 90s. And the mafia was basically trying to get the Italian state to kind of capitulate and let him go, which they didn't, even though like two judges on the case, the most famous is Giovanni Falcone, uh, who, was a, who was murdered. Him and his wife and two policemen were, were murdered in a car bomb. Uh, but uh, the, the, you need to revitalize people's trust in the state, in the government. And I, that's what Italy did. And I think that's what South America or Latin America needs to do. But but to answer your question, other services, 
to tobacco um smuggling huge in europe huh. huge and frankly if you're gonna do something don't smuggle drugs because you will get caught and you will go to jail forever if you get smug caught smuggling tobacco it's a fine it's basically a fine and you're still making millions of dollars why tobacco it's a, it's, yeah it's just some parts of europe don't allow tobacco from certain areas then and you you do that, and people are gonna are you are you you bring in tax free tobacco. If the taxes are so high, you bring in tobacco illegally, and you sell it illegally without paying taxes to the government. Hmm. Now, okay, so this question I have, it, it I don't even know if you you have an answer to it, but I would love your perspective. If I think Oregon Portland is allowing hard drug use. Did they recently just pass that law? Well, they they decriminalized decriminalized it. It mm -hmm. didn't legalize legalize hard drugs. A decrim well, you you could can't go to the store and buy like heroin, but <laughs> you won't do hard time for doing heroin anymore. It is my understanding of the law. Okay. And and this kind of balkanization of laws is is. Two things. There's balkanization of laws within the United States. Drugs are legal somewhere, and drugs are legal, like marijuana. That That's not helping things, because marijuana is still legal, illegal in most of the country. So even if all the United States legalized drugs, let's say every drug is legalized, you do what you want. Well, Europe's not going to do that. So these criminal organizations were just sell to Europe. Mm -hmm. And even though marijuana is legalized, you still have a healthy illegal marijuana trade in those areas of the country uh cartels are growing marijuana in our national parks that's a huge problem oh my god yeah they're they're grow they're growing marijuana in our national parks and harvesting marijuana already in the united states so they don't have to bring it across um so that that's a big problem and gun walking is a big problem because no one's you, you know in mexico like Mexico City, I don't think you could buy a gun. But no one's watching the U.S.-Mexico border with people from the United States going to Mexico. Everyone's watching the Mexican border from Mexico to the United States. So no one's really paying attention to all these this flow of weapons going from the United States to Mexico. Because the border security is on the other end, because people they assume people are bringing drugs across. But there's huge amounts of weapons going across the border into Mexico. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's that's again that's another problem we we've kind of yet to tackle, you know, even begin to tackle is is the flow of illegal weapons to to South America. If if the United States or, or any country would say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to decriminalize the use of drugs and hell, we'll take it a step further and just make it legal to make and sell these drugs." Do you think that, would that just pretty much shut down a lot of organized crime? I don't. I don't think so. I think you 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 have these organizations that are exist. They're just not going to be like, well, shit, let's go home, <laughs> uh, or let's do this legally. I I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm not for across the board drug legal. I know you're just using it as an example, mm -hmm. but like we we shouldn't be able to go to Walmart and buy heroin or or cocaine. Um, I mean, for decriminalization, because I don't think addicts need help. They don't need to go to jail for decades at a time.
they'll just find they'll continue their illegal or they'll just find something else illegal to deal in interesting I, I was wondering that because i i was talking with one of my friends who's okay like with human trafficking is that mm -hmm. is that part of organized that's part of organized oh yeah crime. oh it's a, it's a that's a big problem yeah it's a, that's actually the most i think tragic uh and heartbreaking uh of the problem is human smuggling especially if it's like for for prostitution and kind of coarse sexual human smuggling it's 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 rough to read about and it's rough to hear some of these those stories i was i was wondering whether okay uh, there i think okay in vegas prostitution is legal mm -hmm. so i was talking to my friend and i said hey maybe if they would legalize prostitution human trafficking would go down and she said well there there's a dark side to that because then abuse could still happen yeah oh yeah uh, yeah if you're if you're a consenting sex worker who wants to do this you know i i don't think you should go to jail but i, I agree with your friend i think there's too much coercion and sex slavery going on even if you would legalize it i think still within those legal avenues you would have people against their will mm -hmm. doing this because that's it's um and it's not like taken you know that's <laughs> kind of the that's a point of reference a lot of people have it's not like taken uh, it's it's way more tr tragic and and uh dirty than that yeah oh gosh so, okay, do you have any disturbing facts or statistics that you would like to share? Like, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know there's a really good chance your neighbor could traffic you no, or something uh, crazy like that. <laughs> no, I wish I, I, I don't have any interesting, uh, I'm trying to think if I have anything. Um, no, I wish I had some, no. I, your neighbor might be selling drugs. Um, <laughs> That doesn't make him a cartel boss, mm -hmm. uh, but no, I, 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 no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I fell flat there. I don't no, no, that's okay. That that's all right. It's it's just I hear that like human trafficking is way more common than we realize. Oh yes, yeah, it's happening beneath our noses, and we're not even aware of it. Like New Orleans has a huge, there's a huge hub for that, and it's just not even. We're not even aware of the problem. Excuse is, me. Is there uh, are there any signs or anything that you've read about that people can do to? <laughs> I mean, there's always there's always numbers you can call. There's um, I that's the thing. Unless you're hip to that world, uh, you really won't know what to to look for because mm -hmm. unfortunately, the people who know what to look for or want that. You know, they want they want prostitutes and they, they don't care if they want to have sex or not so uh, like i wouldn't know where to go mm -hmm. like if someone said hey find us some illegal sex slaves we'll help save them i i had no i would say maybe i guess the french quarter somewhere in there <laughs> um but yeah i i i i i think we're way more worried about drugs from from a national security standpoint than sex trafficking and that's uh, not that drug. <laughs> drugs can cause issues, but I, I would think that people's freedom and their their dignity, their safety. Oh yes, yeah, and it's it's big among migrants and, and immigrants especially. But the the 
I guess the strategy is drugs is the money maker right now. Oh. So if you can cut off the money at the source, it would hamper the organization somewhat. But again, there's no good. There's no you cut off one head of the hydra, five grow back. And oh. that's that's yeah, there's kind of we've we've yet to come up with a good strategy to tackle transnational organized crime, especially the cartels. I wonder if it's just gonna be the one of those perpetual issues. I, I I think it for the immediate future, I think it will we'll see. I'm interested to see how the new administration uh does that because o- Obama was kind of the first president to to kind of recognize transnational organized crime as a threat mm. and uh freeze assets of uh five organized crime groups which uh, I, I wonder if i can remember them all the zetas cartel the camorra which is an organized crime which is an italian organized crime group very disorganized though uh the yakuza um some russian organized crime group and some albanian organized crime group the, the brothers circle um, so I would be, Trump kind of ignored European transnational organized crime and really focused on not, not even cartels. It was MS-13 was his big kind of group he went after, but I wouldn't even call they, they were a transnational gang and they're very violent and they're very dangerous, but they're not good at what they do. <laughs> Um, and man, I hope no one listens. Oh, I might be killed by an MS-13 member now. Like, uh, a lot of the members do drugs, and whenever some, like, a, a leader in MS-13 would, like, try to organize them, it's like, let's deal the drugs instead of doing them. He would, like, get killed. So, like, they, they, they are dangerous. They are a threat. I'm not trying to downplay the threat at all. But the, the Trump administration would be to, to label them terrorists, which... Scholars are are split on the advantages of doing that because you can definitely label organized crime as terrorists from a definition standpoint because like extortion is is terroristic, um, and murder a lot of murders are public murders to send messages, so that's terroristic. But what legal advantages does labeling a organized crime group a terrorist organization give you? And a lot, I, I've heard a lot of pro-arguments, and I've heard a lot of anti-arguments. And I've, I've heard good retorts from both sides. I'm kind of, I can see both sides of the fence. I think the problem is with our justice system. And we need to really re- refine these laws or make these laws more fluent uh, to where you don't have, you don't have this debate. You just do it. That's interesting. I hadn't, I didn't realize that they were, they were starting to recognize transnational Organized crime. Oh yeah, it's I. Uh, it kind of took a backseat to terrorism, of course, uh, after nine eleven. You know, mm-hmm. but but um, it, it's becoming now a, a worldwide threat to the point where it can it will it has it has threatened national security. So we we need to respond to it and such. Wow. That's, well, you you mentioned taken, and that brings me to something I know a lot of people are very curious about. So based on what you know about organized crime and from the movies and the video games that you've seen, how do those portrayals rub you? Like, do you think they're, do, they do a great job? Do you think they're exaggerated? Are there a lot of fallacies? Yeah. <laughs> um, 99.9% of movies are, it could be great movies, but do a bad job of portraying organized crime. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and, you know, I, I pick on the Godfather because the Godfather's at fault because nothing in the Godfather works like that in real life. And I, I would say Scorsese's movies like Goodfellas and Casino, they're not accurate to what exactly happened, but they are authentic to what happens. Hmm. So if you want to look at a, a very authentic portrayal of, of organized crime, I, I would say Goodfellas and Casino. Because you get the kind of racketeering lifestyle uh, with that. Uh, with video games, I'm glad you brought this up. I haven't played Mafia 3. but uh, And people hate on Mafia 3. For, like Everyone just shits on this game. But I'm like, I was interested because it takes place in New Orleans, like in the 70s. And the the main bad guy boss is, is obviously Carlos Marcello, who is a mob boss in New Orleans. He's kind of a stand-in for him. A very poor one. Um, Sal Marcano, I think, is the guy's name. And that's not accurate at all to New Orleans, how the New Orleans underworld was. That's more... I, and here's why I like it. It's more related or akin to, like, black exploitation movies of the 70s. Because in the 70s, uh, black exploitation was a genre where you'd have African-Americans kind of fighting against the white establishment. And a lot of movies... Organized crime, white Italian organized crime was the establishment of the underworld. Uh, and you had movies like Black Caesar, Black Samson, um, Cherry Hill, uh, all with African-American gangster characters fighting against the white establishment of organized crime. And that's essentially the plot line to Mafia 3. So I, I really enjoy the, the plots, but translating to the reality of Organized crime in New Orleans. Yeah, it's nothing. It was nothing like that. Huh. Have you played any of the of the Yakuza games? No, I want to. No. Um. Um. I have you. I haven't. I I see people tweet about them. Like the it one. Looks, it looks good. It looks like GTA, but with like like Yakuza. But I hear good things about it. I hear really good things. Uh, I want to play. I, I, I just, I get not this important, but I just don't have the time. No, I, I understand. So, uh, so are you familiar with the Red Dead Redemption series, the Wild West games? I am. Yeah, I would, I would love to. I also like Frontier history, spaghetti westerns. I love westerns, so I would love to play uh, Red Dead. But I hear. I'm like, I don't want to shop wood. Like, I just want to shoot everybody. I'm oh, like, you have yeah. to like stop and like eat. And I'm like, yeah, like I could do you do that in a video game. <laughs> it's um, I was wondering if something like that counts as organized crime, like those Wild West gangs. Yeah, I would say I um, uh, again, you you could you could tweak this definition you want um almost as long as you have a rational reasoning behind it yeah i would say like gangs robber gangs of the old west i, I yeah i would say that's, that's organized crime it, it kind of a, a base form yeah hmm. interesting you, you could say you could say harriet tubman was a human smuggler <laughs> no no i'm dead serious well, that like she did it for good she did it for very good reasons 
but she did it against the law in the South. And she she worked with a network of not criminal. Well, to the South, they were criminals, but to, to and she did it for very good reasons. But she was a human smuggler. But she just, you know, did it for, again. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Harriet Tubman, but just that kind of network of getting people out. Um, it'll be interesting. I think it'd be interesting if someone wrote about slave smuggling, human smuggling of slaves out of the slave south into uh, in the north. I think that'd be a very interesting topic for a paper. Well, you should write it. I should write it? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how well received it would be. But it's interesting because it's one of those technicalities. Like, technically, at this time, this was considered illegal. So this yeah, is why. I, yeah. If you look at it from the South, I'm sure they saw her as a criminal. Yeah. yeah. As, as this was, or they, they didn't have that term back then, but that, that would have been organized crime in their eyes, probably. This is interesting. This is fascinating. <laughs> oh, no, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm not, I'm not born yet. No, no, not at all. And... I'm glad you mentioned Mafia 3 and Carlos Marcello because you and I live in Louisiana and we I'm, I'm assuming you go to New Orleans sometimes too. And what, okay, I need to know more about Carlos Marcello. Like what is the, I know there's probably hours worth of information you could <laughs> go on, but I would love to know more about that because you also said Louisiana politics is a passion of yours. I'll say that last part again, I'm sorry. You said uh, Louisiana politics is a passion oh, of yeah. yours as well. And I don't know how many listeners are aware Study of Louisiana. New Orleans without, yeah, without studying politics. Because at, at most of the early 20th century, any kind of organized crime exi- that existed was, was kind of below the political machine. And be- before Huey Long, you had, you had two democratic political machines that kind of worked together. And then Huey Long came and kind of destroyed it all. So organized crime, excuse me, would kind of adjust to these political turmoils and, and, and stuff like that. So I, I think a big gap in the scholarship has been people have either studied organized crime or they've either studied politics and they've never put the two together before. And that's kind of uh, what I'm doing now. If you want to hear, I talked, about I'm gonna do some self promotion uh, while we're on New Orleans Mafia. Uh, I sat on a uh, virtual panel on organized crime and law enforcement at the 24-hour crime conference that was hosted by uh, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. So people can go on there and see my face again, unfortunately. But if you if you don't like my face, I, I was also interviewed recently on. Uh, Audio Booms Mafia podcast about uh, Marcello's predecessor, uh, Silver Dollar Sam Corolla. So that should be coming out in the near future. And I don't know how much they'll use of me, uh, but that's something else uh, uh, you could hear my annoying voice too. But if, if you want to walk away with something about Marcello, and this is where a lot of my original research has come in. The New Orleans Mafia was not structured like any other mafia organization in the country. It was way disorganized. It was not this, again, thanks to the Godfather, we're kind of used to a boss, an underboss, a capo regime, and a soldier. 
I argue that New Orleans was the mafia. New Orleans was not structured like that, and it service that they approached combating organized crime in New Orleans like that because it took them decades to finally put away Marcelo in jail. Huh. Well, what what kind of crimes was he known for? Oh, gambling was a big one. Gambling, um, money laundering, um, most a lot of gambling. Of course, it being New Orleans, drugs, narcotics, kind of your run-of-the-mill stuff. But, of course, it being New Orleans, uh, gambling was everywhere. There was so much gambling in Jefferson Parish, they called it the free state of Jefferson. Because gambling was just kind of out in the open, and the the cops didn't care. Interesting. So, what what was, from what you've researched, what was... The climate light during Carlos Marcelo's era, just not just with organized crime, but life in New Orleans. Well, he he uh, and he was boss from 1947 to to the the early to mid 80s. Mm-hmm. So he had a long, he had a very long run. Uh, but I, I will say, very politically connected, especially with Earl Long. Um, kind of gambling was not interrupted he, he never had I, until it was legalized in the 90s there was kind of one reform mayor in new orleans that really cracked down on gambling and, and after that earl long was put back in office so you know everyone kind of went back to doing their own thing um but again very corrupt uh and very uh racist um very just out in the open crime and as long as you knew the right people you can get away with it so when did this change what what was the impetus to change this that's a good question well uh, that's why i argue the the new orleans mafia was not very well organized because when marcello went to jail he was kind of still the boss he had one of his brothers step up and kind of run the organization and then the, the son of Marcelo's predecessor became boss, uh, Anthony Caroa. And that was around the same time they started legalizing gambling. So they wanted to establish a skim off of, of video poker. And they got the Genovese family from New, or- uh, New York involved. And that was kind of their downfall because it ended up being this huge sting that took all the New Orleans Mafia down, and the, 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 there's no New Orleans Mafia anymore because they were all old guys in the 90s. So after they all went to jail, they either died in jail or got out and died, or, or their sons, uh, or you know, went to jail and got out, and they're they're kind of kind of involved in organized crime. But I would argue there's no organization there anymore. It, it was just a different time. That era was over. Where we're, we're Politics wasn't as corrupt. Uh, you really couldn't do things out in the open anymore. Gambling was becoming legalized, so you couldn't you couldn't make all this money off of illegal gambling anymore because people would just go to casinos now. Um, and uh, I, I doubt they were really heavy into narcotics uh, enough to keep the organization going by that time anyway. So it's kind of like all their revenues dried up. Hmm. And you, you mentioned Huey Long, and he's a he's a figure. I'm sure most of he is a United, figure. <laughs> I'm sure most of the United States has at least heard of him. 
And if not, you should read up on the kingfish. Yeah, very interesting. It's like, it's kind of sad how politics works down here. Because, like, we needed Huey Long to get into office to, like, pave roads. Like, we couldn't, our government couldn't decide to pave some goddamn roads. We needed, like, a dictator to come into office and say, hey, guess what? We're paving roads now. So, like, it's, it's, and, like, the specter, you, you still hear politicians today blame Huey Long for, for like, the way the government works. Um, you know, depending on your outlook. He was, he was either a good guy or, or a bad guy. So, very controversial figure in Louisiana politics. What is it about Louisiana politics? I, I don't know if it's just the South or is something about Louisiana. What What is it? I, I always argue Louisiana is like the third world of of the country. Like, pe- people, people come here to, like, e- extract our natural resources. People come here to party. But, like, corruption just festers down here, and no one does anything about it. And, like, that hotel that collapsed, the Hard Rock Hotel, like, that was a claim. I would not expect anything to happen like that. Like, I would expect something to happen like that in Italy in the 50s, when, like, organized crime was involved in, like, bad cement deals. But, like, in the United States, like, in the United States in New Orleans for that to happen and that to just stay there like a monument of failure to just bureaucracy. And I'm, I'm deeply disappointed. And I love Louisiana. It's just, I, I do, I, I'm disappointed on how, you know, this is, this, this like good old boy political machine still runs the state. So like if someone doesn't get their palms greased in the right way, it doesn't happen. You still have this, this, and it's almost expected. Like people are surprised when it doesn't happen. Uh, so I mean, that's still it's not nearly as like it's just so expected. No one does anything about it. Like people voted for Edwin Edwards when he wanted to run again. For, people voted for a crook who went to jail for being a crook, and he got out and he wanted to run for Senate, and people voted for him. So that's just the kind of I mean I don't know what to say about that. Oh. Do you, do you have any idea why Louisiana is like that? I mean, have are other do other states deal with anything similar? I would say New Jersey is probably the, you know, there's a lot of corruption in New Jersey, and that's all mafia related, and they're politicians. I'd say I'd say we're the Jersey of the South, or uh, Jersey is the New Orleans of the North, or the Louisiana of the North. I had never thought of that before, of Jersey. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. Jersey's a little nicer, I think. I don't know. I, I don't want to insult people from Louisiana and or Jersey. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like you're going to get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> I mean, we're... It's a world that's surrounding us and we see it. And we keep hearing how we need more taxes to repair the roads in Louisiana. What were you doing? previously why well, yeah. are the roads still not fixed well yeah well all, I, I assure you all that money went into someone's pocket and uh oh well this guy his name was Gil Dozier and he was the like agriculture the head of the department of agriculture like in the 90s so you're like what can that guy do he's head of goddamn agriculture he went to jail for like murder for hire racketeering uh, he would extort grocery stores by like threatening because the, the Department of Agriculture would go in to grocery stores and like 
make sure their meat scales were working. And if the meat, you know, so they give you if that's all that's big trouble for grocery stores so we do like extort grocery stores by like threatening to do that and i'm like man we can't have anything nice in this state can you can you repeat that part about the, the meat it cut out for a little bit why oh i'm they, sorry that's the, all right the what? department of agriculture is in charge of going to these grocery stores and when you buy like meat like ham they put it on the scale and to see how many pounds of ham you're gonna buy so they can tally up a price well, the Department of Agriculture is testing those scales to make sure they're accurate, to make sure the grocery store is not ripping you off. And if they get caught with that, I mean, that's big fine. That's a big problem for a grocery store. So Gil Dozier would extort grocery store owners. If you would not pay me an X amount of money, your scales are off and you've got bigger problems. So you might as well just pay me the money. Oh, God. Yeah. You got caught. You got caught on a lot of stuff. That yeah, uh, somebody's write a book about him, because uh, oh. that guy was, and he got pardoned by. I, I think it was Reagan who pardoned him. <laughs> I, I'm pretty, I, I'm not sure, but I'm ninety percent sure it was Reagan who gave him a pardon. And I'm just like, well, no one learned anything from this because you can just get pardoned for doing all this. So, is there anything about organized crime that people might not be aware of? Like, are even today, would you say there are some organized criminals who are in the pockets of politicians? Oh, um, well, I'd say it's the other way around today. Um, it's because organized or gangs and organized crime kind of served politicians and political machines up until prohibition, and with prohibition organized crime was able to kind of walk on its own because it finally had enough money, had enough power to where it became kind of a more dominant organization. And, and in some cities like Chicago, you had political machines like the daily political machine and organized crime walking hand in hand. But that's when kind of organized crime kind of freed itself from the, sh the shackles of, of political machines and became its own corrupting entity. Uh, is, is is really during prohibition, but yeah, there's all I mean, I mean, kind of the Balkans and Russia is always there's always new stuff popping up, and it's all a lot of it is state sponsored too. Like uh, Putin kind of militarized organized crime. You will turn a blind eye and let organized crime operate as long as you're serving the Russian state in some capacity. Um, so, yeah, it's, that's another interesting uh, area to study about organized crime, is, is, is post-Soviet Russia. Post-Soviet? Oh, gosh, I, must, I imagine they're pretty terrifying. Well, they, they had no idea, the, the people of Russia had no idea of, of contract law, how to, to enforce contract law. So you had, they hired gangsters to enforce contract law. It was, the, the, the 90s in Russia was prohibition, is, it was their prohibition. And like capitalism became introduced and uh, these oligarchs were able to kind of buy up all industry in Russia and some of these are organized crime figures, some of these work with organized crime figures. Um, so that was kind of their prohibition. Huh. And are there any, so you, you mentioned these different countries and I'm kind of curious just pick the ones maybe you're well, you know, the most well versed in, and what do they have in common? 
and how do they operate differently. Like you could take Russia, the Balkans, Albania, United States, South America, Japan, similarities and differences. Yeah, well, similarities, it's all it's all the same stuff, all the same shit. Um, <laughs> it's just organized differently. Like I'd, I'd organize, I'd, I'd, I would argue the, like the Yakuza is more structured like the mafia, kind of this traditional mafia organization we, we, we in the West are accustomed to. And I, I would argue like Balkan organized crime is more like cartels. They're kind of fluid and, and not, uh, not a hierarchy, uh, but several of those small organizations working together. And uh, kind of the same with Russia. A lot of like Serbian organized crime operates under the the banner of russian organized crime they kind of franchise crime out huh. um and that's how organized crime in eastern europe kind of runs um but uh, but you have uh, italian organized crime in europe you have russian organized crime in europe you have jamaican organized crime in europe you have african organized crime in europe so europe's a big kind of hub because you have all these different entry routes you have uh heroin and poppy coming from the the middle east from afghanistan through iran and it used to be over land route from serbia to the balkans but since the war in syria uh africa is the new route into uh europe so you see a lot you see a big kind of heroin boom in africa right now and you see a lot of heroin kind of heroin addicts exploding in africa right now because these illicit organizations are kind of uh, switching up routes based on geopolitical factors. Are there any countries you can think of that are untouched by organized? No, crime? I would say I would say in one, even even if it's a government in some fashion, like graft. I everyone's kind of even Canada. Canada has worse organized crime than the well Italian organized crime than the United States. I would argue. They have way more violent organized Italian organized crime in Canada than, than we do here. Like the murders are way more public, way more brazen, and a lot more. So uh, yeah, I would I would argue in in some capacity, every country in the world is touched somehow. Especially today, where everything's transnational. You you yeah you might have a product go through eight countries before it gets to its destination. So. Oh my god! Yeah. I guess we all, we all need to move to Antarctica. <laughs> Maybe that would. That would I mean, just... all the snows up there is like cocaine. Like that, that's, <laughs> I, I think it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've done a lot of research, and you've given some different talks, like you've just talked about. Would you like to talk about some of the particular topics you've researched and written about? Yeah, like I'm. I'm really big on structure because I. I think again. I, I don't blame law enforcement for their mistakes, but I, I'd like to understand why they made them. And I, I think that not every criminal organization is structured the same. Each criminal organization has its own individual structure and hierarchy, and we need to approach every individual organization like it is an individual organization and not just give, well, it's a mafia, so it's all structured the same. That's not true. And that's organized uh excuse me law enforcement has tried that strategy in the past and it has failed miserably and um i i 
I, I wrote a paper. I have to write another paper because I've been kind of riding on the curtails of this paper for like two years now, giving uh, talks and conferences uh, about just structure and how structure is important and we need to take that into consideration. Do you have any other topics you're thinking about for the future? I am. That's my problem. I'm really OCD. So like what one topic might interest me one day, I'll be like, yeah, I'll put that aside and go do something else. So um, uh, I'm reading in the, I'm reading through the uh, Reagan, like I was telling you about earlier, has had an investigation on organized crime, a big one, kind of the first big one since um, the Kiava committee in the 50s and the McClellan committee in the 60s. Um, and just kind of relate that to where we are today, because that's when you first really get to see uh, modern transnational organized crime, because, uh, and it also has to do with what drugs are in demand at that time. So in the 70s, heroin was big. Mm-hmm. So you saw heroin brought in by the mafia through the French connection and through the pizza connection. So essentially, American mafia and the Italian mafia and the French Corsican organized crime group were all working together to bring in heroin from the Middle East into the United States. Well, after the 70s, no one's really doing heroin anymore. Everyone's doing cocaine. So all the cocaine's in South America. So you have the Medellin cartel, that's when you have Pablo Escobar bringing in cocaine. And then but here's the thing, and like race and class really get into this too, because cocaine's a rich person's drug. You can't be a poor person and buy cocaine. So like someone's like, hey, let's make crack. So crack developed as you, you don't snort crack. It, it's like a you smoke it, and that became common among more poor urban areas, and that democratized the drug trade. Because you couldn't, if you wanted to sell heroin, you kind of had to be brought into that. Huh. You you had to be brought into that. If you wanted to sell crack, all you had to do was buy some cocaine and then make some crack. And then, then you outbreak of, of gang violence in the 80s because there was much more freedom in to distribute and make crack. And you had all these little gang, organ, all these organizations stepping on each other's toes and they were killing each other. And that's when you see this big boom in violence. And that's when you see a lot of racist laws passed towards people. People who would do cocaine would get lighter sentences than people who would do crack. Huh. And it's, it's really sad when you look at it because cocaine was more of a white person's drug. Crack was associated with poor African-American urban landscapes. So doing... A little bit of crack would get you way more time than you doing like a line of cocaine. And I'm not saying, you know, hey, go do cocaine. But uh, that that's the, the, the laws. And you, you can see it different in these organized crime hearings, too, because in the 70s, when Nixon started the war on drugs, he was kind of compassionate towards addicts. But in the 80s, the viewpoint came in, well, you're part of the problem. You are at the bottom ring of this organized crime structure because you're supporting organized crime through purchasing drugs. So we're going to put you in jail for like 30 years. And now 
thankfully we've kind of, we've kind of done we've we've starting to do an about face on that because addicts shouldn't be going to jail. Addicts need help. Uh, they shouldn't be going to jail for the rest of their lives. They should be getting the help they need. So that's kind of what I'm doing in one portion, and the other is like the longs. I, I kind of want to study organized crime in Louisiana uh, along with the political machines in Louisiana as well. Oh God, they're so fascinating, and I love. It's very interesting that you brought up the '80s because that's when Nancy Reagan had her whole. Oh gosh, what was the? Just say no. Just say no. That's what Just it was. Just say no. Yeah, and. <laughs> The, the the kind of, I guess, the irony is, during that time, we were so obsessed, the Reagan administration was so obsessed with defeating communism, that when, excuse me, when communism was gaining a foothold in South America, we were propping up uh, insurgent groups, like the Contras, everyone's, the, the Iran-Contra affair is the most famous but we were looking the other way of Contras bringing cocaine into the United States to sell, to use against their fight against the Sandinistas communist government. So a lot of people saying the Reagan administration was in on it and the CIA brought cocaine into Los Angeles. I don't think that happened, but I do think the government knew about it and just looked the other way. Conveniently look the other way. And meanwhile, you have Nancy Reagan saying, like, just say no. So it, it is kind of, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's irony at its finest, I guess. I'm probably, you're an English major, so I'm probably using irony wrong. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I'd say hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, yeah. That's I good, would say, that's, but that's, it, it is kind of, it is it's pretty ironic. It's yeah. not exactly what you would think would happen. I'm, I'm amazed. And yet, as I get older, I'm less amazed at how much corruption happens <laughs> in politics. Oh, yeah, it's, but, you know, it goes back, you know, politics has always been dirty. Uh, you know, people like to think Kennedy and, like, Nixon ran a clean race. But, like, the, the dirty, kind of the dirtiest stuff I've seen has been, was in the 1960 Democratic primary race uh, with Kennedy versus, like, Hubert Humphreys. Well, really? not the dirt, not the dirtiest stuff I've seen, because politics has devolved in the last thirty years. But like, doing like really kind of underhanded. But like, it's fair. It was fair game. Like that was the unwritten rules at the time. So like, are you in it to win it or not? It's kind mm -hmm. of my like politics is, was never clean. I, I I think like you kind of got your uh, head in the sky if you think all the all if politicians are like well i just care about the the topics and i'm gonna run the the best clean campaign possible uh it doesn't work like that no it doesn't you can say that on tv but that's not politics do you think you'd ever like to run for some kind of office i would but i would probably be insanely corrupt and go to jail so i think it's better uh that i don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> no oh i God. i, I I wouldn't mind, but like I, I don't know. Like I feel I'm not smart enough to to do any of it, that. I don't know. Have you seen some of the people running? I, I, well, especially down here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess you're right. Oh but gosh. That's another thing I feel you have to be brought into, especially down here. If you're not of a certain pedigree, 
you can't you can't just be a, a regular person running for politics down here. There's too much machinery still intact uh, to where you have to be a part of the machine to to, to even make it. What a mess! And is that kind of the same way for organized crime? You're kind of well. You had given some examples of people who were more susceptible to it, but it, it does sound like a big family. It's in your area. I don't know if just anybody. Can, hey, I'd like to join organized crime. Like on The Sims, that was one of the options. <laughs> no, and it, it's it's different. Um, again, it's different from every organization. Like with the mafia, you have to be a Sicilian or Italian. Um, you know, the Yakuza have offices. So you can just go into the... Like every Yakuza gang has an, a corporate office. So that's another weird thing that you just go join. And it's like, I couldn't get into a gang, any gang. Like I couldn't go, hello, sir. I'd like to join your gang. <laughs> so like, I think at every level there's familiarity. You have to kind of prove your worth in some fashion. I, I, I think I would last two seconds in any kind of criminal underworld uh, organization. Like an initiation. <laughs> Cause I'm not, I'm not a tough, I'm not a very tough person. And I don't like getting hit, so like I would I would give up any information. I'd like the, the first like threat of violence. I'd be like, okay, what, what would you like to know? I'll tell you. So, I'll tell you yeah. So no, I it's just uh, rules you have to follow. So it, it depends who you're talking about. This is this is something I just thought of. I don't know how much research has been done or the psychology behind it, but I was kind of thinking, have people really reached out and studied the spouses and families, the children of people involved? Um, I, I'm sure there's been work done. I think, I think where you need to study that is uh, kind of more third world, because that's where the... Poverty is a big problem. You know, kids of gangsters today probably grow up middle class, like in the United States. So they're probably well, somewhat well adjusted. But like in in Africa and South America, where it's kind of desperation, it's like you have like this is your avenue. This is what you're doing. Uh, I, I I'm sure there's a lot of that studied. I just I don't I don't know the psych I, I don't know the psychology side of it too well. Yeah. Wasn't there, I, I never watched it, but wasn't there like Mob Wives? Wasn't that a TV show? Yeah, it's like a reality show now. So I'm kind of like, I'm like, this is stupid. This has got really <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I, I never uh, watched it, but it just yeah, the idea. Well, it's, that... it's hard to feel bad for those people because like they're all like just yelling at each other. On t I'm like, you're so obnoxious. Just stop it. You're a caricature. Stop it. <laughs> And I'm, I'm amazed they even made a TV show about it. I have to look more into it. But hey, are, are you kind of letting the cat out of the bag with what you're? Well, that's the thing. Is? The mafia, the mafia in America doesn't matter so much that they can make a TV show out of this. <laughs> Never in a trillion years you would see this in Italy. Never in a trillion years you would, see, you would be dead beyond belief in Italy. Still today. Oh, there's yes. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, organized crime is. The mafia is completely different in Italy. Oh, completely so different. Yeah. Very hush hush, very clandestine. Oh, not so much. I, I don't make a TV show. 
Uh, you know, yeah, it's and they they it's violent over there to this day. It's still very violent. Yeah. So everyday people like like you, like me, what are our chances that we've brushed past someone involved in organized crime in our everyday lives? I mean, if you ever purchase an illegal drug, that had to come from somewhere. So if I went and bought cocaine, again, I don't do cocaine. <laughs> but chances are that, you know, if you play Six Degrees, that drug probably started in South America. And that was brought by someone working for the cartel in here and was given someone that deals drugs over here and it ends up in your nose. So that you're eventually... I. Probably, probably there's a good chance. But again, you don't, unless you're involved in that world, you probably don't know. Well, next time I go to the grocery store, I'm just going to start asking people, excuse me, are you in the mafia? Have you- Do you have any cocaine? Well, Dexter, is there is there anything else you would like to discuss? We've, we've talked about the museum. We've talked about your education, your, your plans. Is there anything else you'd like people what? to know? One more thing. I want to talk about movies real quick. Yes, please. Please You're big movie buffs. And I want to throw out to your audience, if your audience, if anyone in your audience, I've had a lot of beer. If anyone in your audience is like, I'm bored with movies. I haven't seen anything interesting lately. Italian cinema. I'm talking about movies made in Italy during the 70s and 80s. Because it's insane. It's the most insane shit you've ever seen. And I feel everyone in the United States, their exposure to Italian cinema is good Italian cinema. Like, good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, all the Clint Eastwood westerns and some other spaghetti westerns. That's all Italian-made movies. And that they were all very good movies. But there's a ton, there's a whole genre of Italian movies that are terrible. And they're really made to market to an, a, a, an American audience. And I'll give you probably the best example. They they made an unofficial Terminator 2 sequel in Italy in the 80s. But it's the it's called Terminator 2, but it's the plot to Aliens. It's the plot to the second Alien movie. And it takes place in a Ven- like a Venice overrun by these monsters. And there's like a squad of Marines that go under now underneath Venice. And try to kill all these monsters. And it's the literal plot to aliens, but it's called Terminator 2. And it has this Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger guy looking like on the cover. And it makes it's bananas. It's like the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and that's so cool. Even the gangster movies made in Italy are like off. But again, it's all it's all part of the history of Italy. Because even if you even if you watch Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, there's not a lot of dialogue in those movies. And I think that's why those movies are popular here. Because up until like the 90s, the Italians would film a movie but not use the sound recorded on set. Hmm. So then that's because all these Italian directors after World War II were used to using these American wartime cameras which were loud while these cameras are rolling and make this loud grinding noise. So film using sound on set would be, you know, you couldn't use it because you'd have all this grounding noise in it. So you had every actor 
do what's called additional dialogue recording, ADR. They would record as best as And for Westerns, that's fine because you might have one or two lines of dialogue. Like for these gangster movies and like the Terminator 2 movie, you have like tons of dialogue and the, it never matches up. So it looks terrible. And that's, that's why Italian cinema never really took off in the States. That's my brief Italian cinema history lesson for you. Oh, I appreciate that. So, so you you did recommend um, Goodfellas and Casino, I believe earlier. Casino, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure most of your audience has seen that. Yeah, I Those need. Are... To see it. I'm really. Did we go see Scarface years ago? Like it <laughs> in downtown Homa? No, no, I, I did we. Yeah, there was. You remember uh, one of the local restaurants slash bars would do this movie thing. Like oh, the boxer, huh? Yeah, boxer. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah some of our friends, yeah. we all, some of our, our little group of common friends, we all went there and watched Scarface. <laughs> that was fun. I wish it would still, uh, COVID ruined everything. I know, it really did. And that, that movie kind of traumatized me with that uh, bathroom scene. Oh, oh my the, God. The, uh, the chainsaw? Oh, my God. Don't do cocaine. That's what happens when you do cocaine. You get a chainsaw on the head. Or when you sell cocaine. Yeah, every every time I think of Miami in the eighties, I just I think of cocaine. (laughs) Oh, that's I mean that's not a bad that's not an inaccurate view of of the eighties in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) That's just what comes to mind. But what else is there? Anything else you'd like to share with people or any recommendations? No, just just um, I um, again, thank you for having me. I I hope uh, I wasn't too boring and. like I told you earlier, I love seeing someone following their passion and, and doing it. So I'm just insanely proud of you for doing oh. these podcasts and the Zelda stuff. It's 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 very good to see someone follow their passions like that. Oh, well, thank you. I, I think it's really important for people to create and do things. And, and just life's too short. And we all have to work. We all have to do things we don't want to do. And it's it makes life worth living to do things you like. That's well said. Very well said. Oh, I couldn't you. agree more. Well, do you have any books that you'd like to recommend? I, th- I just thought of that. Books. Yeah, I read a lot of history. and I don't read, I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, I'm trying to think of a good history book I've read recently. Um, I have a bookshop right here. Let's see. I'll pick one randomly. How about that? Go for it. Um... You know what? All these books suck. Um, <laughs> you know what? Hit me up on my Twitter if you need book recommendations. <laughs> It'll let you know. Let me, yeah. Awesome. Well, Dexter, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at DexterB12 uh, on Twitter, uh, UnderworldNola uh, on Instagram, and mm, just Dexter on Facebook. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much again for your time, oh, Dexter. One more oh. thing. I, I do have a blog, uh, louisianamafia.wordpress.com. If you want to read some originally written uh, articles on Louisiana or New Orleans organized crime, it's a little defunct right now because of graduate school. I have to do so much reading and writing in my spare time. So like on the 10 minutes of spare time I get a day. I don't want to read and write anymore. So once I'm done graduate school, I will get back to this blog. But visit in the meantime, and uh, I hope you enjoy it.
Thank you so much. Well, everybody, you can find Boss Rush Games wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find our YouTube channel if you haven't been watching our faces and watching Dexter enjoy. What beer have you been enjoying, Dexter? Uh, this is uh, Parish uh, Atticus. It's a triple hopped IPA. Oh. So it's very, yeah, it's very good. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to pimp out Parish Brewery in uh, Broussard. Probably, probably my, fav- my favorite local beer. Oh, that's awesome. And it's yeah. funny because uh, I have a, I have some friends who do a podcast called Bruthers in Law. Where they oh, talk. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm going to have to share that with you. Well, again, everybody, if you want to reach out to Dexter and ask him some questions about organized crime, history, beer, whatever you want. Beer, yeah. <laughs> it's about life. We can rap about life. You know. <laughs> Where do babies come from? Let's, let's, you know. <laughs> no, I won't get into that. No, no, no. 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 Ask your parents. <laughs> this is a PG podcast. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time, guys, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.